0: You're listening to
1: Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hey everybody, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. Uh, on with me today is Joe Velarde. Joe, welcome.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Thank you. Joe is one of uh, my first restaurant interviews, and I was excited when he was uh, open to coming on. A little introduction to Joe. You know, my mom and uh, stepdad have known Joe for a while, and we we are a close family, and once in a while we'll have a birthday or some celebration, and they're like, where do you want to go? And I always, uh, one of the restaurants I always wanted to go to was Joe's. It was Biz on Main, and um, just something about the experience obviously the food uh the people but joe was a master at creating an experience that um people just kept coming back to and, and as you went and visited the restaurant you, you'd see a lot of the same faces so anyway joe um thank you for coming um in your own words maybe you can talk to the audience a little bit about what you do how long you've done it um and we'll just kind of take it from there okay
0: hey, well uh, you know i started in the restaurant business when i was 14 I started out as a pot washer I had to actually lie about my age to get the job uh, back in uh, suburban Detroit. And and then through the years as I went through high school, I stayed in the same place, a big big catering house where I worked in the storeroom. Uh, And then when I started college, I got a waiter's job. My first waiter's job, I worked from midnight till 8 in the morning at a place called Perkins Cake and Steak out in Ann Arbor. and then a few years later, I moved to New Orleans, and I worked the restaurant business down there for a while. And went then went back home to Detroit, and uh, so I've been in the restaurant business ever since. I started, um, you know, so I worked as a waiter. Um, I had uh, later on in my thirties, I had a catering business uh, that I operated in Los Angeles, um, and then uh, I moved up here to Seattle about thirty years ago, and. Uh, Got my first job uh, was with the famous uh, Il Tarazzo Carmine, Carmine Smaraldo, with the late Carmine Smaraldo, and I worked for him for four years. Then in 1998, I opened my restaurant on Main Street in Bellevue, Bisson, Maine, and uh, you know I just sold it six months ago and I've retired. But it's so it's been a long career and you know, I'm uh, almost 70. So I was in the restaurant business for 55, 54 years. So
1: okay. I yes. love it. By yes. the way, I think I might have made a mistake by pronouncing it wrong. You call it beast?
0: Uh it, beast it's like uh, beast. it means two twice or another in both French and Italian. A lot of people call it the biz bis. I don't care. you know, I always say I don't care what you call it as long as you call it
1: <laughs> as long as you're paying attention. So, yeah. okay, so you're born and uh, raised in Detroit, is that right, or Michigan?
0: Uh, yeah, well, my, we, our family went back and forth between LA and Detroit, but I was born in Detroit and spent, uh, yeah, what
1: okay. junior high and high school there. All right. I love it. It's like a Neil Diamond song, but that's LA and New York, but okay. So you, you've been in the, the, the restaurant business from 14, I guess. Is yeah. it, is it something that like, as you got older, went to high school, did you go to college, by the way?
0: I, I, I spent a little time in college. Okay. Were okay, you? Th- as I like to say, yeah.
1: <laughs> that's okay. Were you thinking restaurant business all along, or did you have other interests or you know areas that you wanted to pursue?
0: Um. Well, you know, I'm I'm a little old. I'm from a different generation. I mean, when I told my dad I wanted to go to college, he said, "What the <laughs> heck do you need to go to college for?" I mean, that's whereas nowadays, you know, it's more or less uh, de reward for uh, most uh, most people in our in our area anyhow so yeah it was a different time so uh, so there wasn't a lot of focus in my family on going to college I wanted to go I tried it and then I didn't really I wanted to travel I had a chance to move to New Orleans and uh so I dropped out of college and uh, moved to New Orleans and you know just gravitated uh, into the restaurant business down there uh and it it just kind of stuck you know that's that's one of the traps of, of working as a waiter or a front of the house person is that the money you know you're making you know you make pretty good living as a server you know uh uh you know you I've always said you know a server uh, if you work as a server in a good restaurant you know you're making in the top 10 percent or 20 percent of the uh, of the average income for most Americans so it's it's a good job what's uh hard being a server is that Especially in a nice restaurant, is that you're always serving people who are much wealthier, and and so then you develop sort of a a longing, and say, you know, wow, that's that's some lifestyle that all these customers have, and and you know, why can't I have that? So, and and in some ways, there's a, a lack of self-esteem working as a server, but you know, in the European tradition, it's it's a time honored position, and that, uh, and and it should be because you know, being a server is not for everybody. As uh, my friend Sid used to say, you know, uh, he used to always quote the booty. He said, he said, not everyone can serve. You know, not everyone is born to serve. Being, being able to serve is a, is a skill and it's an honor sometimes. So um, I came to look at it in that way. And and the other thing that I liked about the working as a server is you could travel. You, had a, um, you know, you could go anywhere and, and be a server. Much like today, you know, uh, people like to work from home, or they can work. They can they could be in New Zealand and be working their job here in Seattle uh, remotely. So, in a way, there's a similarity. Being a server, you can go anywhere and and get a job as a server or as a cook. You know, so there's this the, the restaurant skill as it transfers to most anywhere in the world that you want to be. So, that's an advantage. Uh, you know, back when I came up, it was also cash, you know, you didn't have to claim your tips too much. And, you know, so there those advantages changed now, of course. Uh,
1: yeah. So I just want to uh, make sure I'm following. So as a server, you're, you're referencing like being a waiter or waitress and maybe not a, a restaurant owner. So did you, is that where you, you were a server for a long time and then ended up being an owner of a restaurant?
0: Right. I worked as a server. And then uh, you know, dining room captain, maitre d. Uh, and when I came here to Seattle thirty years ago, that's when I worked for Carmine Smaraldo. I was uh, the dining room manager slash maitre d. Uh, of the restaurant, and so you know, I you know, I had quite a few responsibilities as far as the wine list, the wine program, uh, uh, you know, and then uh, managing the staff, the front of the house staff. So,
1: yeah, you know, it's interesting what you said. Um, And if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind going down that road a little bit because it's kind of the basis of this podcast is, you know, here you are in Main Street, Bellevue, and you have a very affluent, wealthy uh, group that comes in and your comments about like, well, wouldn't it be nice or, you know, to be like that. But, you know, what I found is that no matter how much money some people make, you know, the happiness and being joyful in your job, um, you know, I know a lot of very wealthy people that aren't happy at all. And sure. um, my guess, though, is you really enjoy the the environment and the culture of being in the restaurant. And was there ever, um, I guess, an awareness of, you know, okay, maybe I wasn't born into a family or have a big company, but, you know, you're providing this experience, I would think that 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 would feel pretty good. I mean, I mean, it's, it, comparing is the ultimate thief of joy, that's a quote, and, and you never win that race. But, you know, at the end of the day, when I think about all the time I spent at your restaurant and just the experience and seeing people happy, celebrating life, that's got to be a pretty good feeling.
0: Well, you know, it, it, it took some time in my life because there, you know, I, as a younger man, I, I did have some self-esteem issues, you know, that were related to being a server because it wasn't uh, as well respected. Even though I was happy with the money I was making, but uh, but over time I grew to understand that I was pretty good at the restaurant business, and I was very good at uh, at um, uh, many of the jobs that uh, are entailed in running a restaurant. Um, and and then I ended up, you know, having a very successful restaurant for 25 years, and you know I made a very good living, and so. But it, it took a while for me to get to that point. And, um, the thing that people considering the jump into the restaurant business is you know not all restaurants are created equal. There's you know, a lot of times you know you start a restaurant, you bought yourself a hundred hour a week job and uh you know, and you may not make that much money um I was fortunate and you know I had I stuck to it and uh and I think that part of my success came from a the fact that uh, I was naturally gifted uh. For, for serving and hosting people and making people feel comfortable and, uh, and happy in my restaurant. And um, and also that I was good at the technical side. In other words, you know, the uh, dotting the I's, crossing the T's. Um, and I think that, um, that that combination of those two traits or qualities uh, helped me be successful, but uh, it is, you know, people should know that it's a, it's a time consuming, it's a difficult job. You can't, there's no remote in the restaurant business because, you know, you can't go online and serve somebody.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. I get it. What would you say? I mean, just kind of cutting to the chase, you've been in the business for a long time. What's the hardest, I mean, maybe it changes based off the restaurant location or whatever, but what would you say to somebody who's dead set on? opening up a restaurant, you know, they have a passion for it. What is the hardest part about, is it, is it hiring good people? Is it um, dealing with, you know, a shift in the economy and then people don't want to spend a lot of money on expensive? Like, what would you say the hardest part of your job is?
0: Well, certainly staff is right up there, especially in our present day and in our community at least, but I'm sure it's pretty much uh, the whole industry. You know, finding kitchen staff. Uh, you know, when, when the uh, uh, when the COVID came, so many people have dropped out of the restaurant industry, and and you know, you need to have good cooks. You need to have, you need to have dishwashers, cooks, prep cooks, chefs. Uh, that is a it's a lot of moving parts. The restaurant business. And then you have the front of the house people. And you know, in my experience, they're a little easier to find um, because it's usually. Uh, better money for the front of the house. They work a few hours and maybe make the same as a cook might work 50 hours, a waiter work 20 hours and they make about the same money. Uh, that's changing, of course. Um, over the last few years, there's more equity uh, going forward in the restaurant business, but it still kind of holds true that the cooks are going to work longer than the servers. But um, so, so finding staff is very difficult finding good staff you know, I can tell you that like in Bisson, Maine, over the last five years before I left, uh, we must have gone through 10 or 12 sous chefs. These are guys that they're not the chef, but they're not a cook. They're somewhere in between. They're the ones that are supposed to be on the line, you know, helping the chef control things. And uh, they're just hard to find because it's either you're going to be a chef or you're going to be a cook. Nobody really wants to be the the middle guy. Um so finding the right people, you know, the right mix um is very, very difficult. It's very challenging. And and uh that what that's what I would say is difficult. The other thing that's difficult is the restaurant business, as I said, you can't remote in, so it's a lot of hours. And and uh for a restaurant to be successful, uh you have to be on top of it. You have to be there, you have to make sure that people are doing things the right way. The way you want them done, and uh, you can't cut corners. Uh, I mean, maybe some people do, but I know in my experience, cutting corners is 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 that little extra ten percent of effort that you put in that makes the difference between a very successful place and a place that maybe is middling. And um, so, so that's our you know you work holidays, you're working evenings. So basically, when other people are off, you're working that's the
1: trade-off yeah you know the other thing i was just listening to you thinking is you have to be on to like friendly your energy and like you might have some issues going on personally in your family or whatever health whatever but you got to show up and people are expecting a happy joe or at least not a a rude joe so (laughs) you know what i mean so that's the other part like being a newscaster or whatever you gotta you gotta look good and be happy and all that. And personally, I think that'd be hard because life can be difficult sometimes. Um, And so just out of curiosity, at full capacity for your restaurant, the one you just left, um, how many people could actually sit at once?
0: Well, uh, uh, we could actually have seated up to 130 people at one time. Our uh, occupancy was for 100 and the fire department allows plus or minus 10%. So uh ostensibly 110 people and there were quite a few times when we had 110 people in the restaurant bed very full
1: okay so then i guess what why i'm asking is i'm curious um staff like how many employees does it take to service that many people uh you know and you got people that are you know taking days off or whatever so i'm sure that your whole staff isn't working at the same time but does that mean you have 40 people on staff 50 20. No,
0: i had i had about 35 employees so on a, on a, on a say a busy night when we had a full dining room i would have six servers a bartender that's seven i'd have a host which quite often was me that's eight a couple busboys so that's 10 at the front of the house and we'd have five cooks and two dishwashers in the back so uh, about 17 people 18 people now i ran my restaurant pretty lean uh most places they might have two hostesses. You go in and, you know, you, you go to a restaurant you have like three or four hostesses standing at the front desk. You know, I never did that. Uh, you know, I was kind of more of a hands-on operator. So, uh, for us, I would say, you know, something like that, 18 to 22 people is, would be normal.
1: And how, how difficult was it to, um, like pre- like deciding what meals, what food, like things change people's, um, interest change i mean is that a difficult thing or do you just get really good at like you know 80 percent of your menu is just consistently it's your core or do you always have to be um changing it up
0: well I, i think uh people want to see some change here here's the the uh the dilemma is that everybody wants you to change the menu they want to see the menu refreshed occasionally that they don't want you to change your favorite item. So the minute, so it doesn't matter what item you take off or change, people are going to come in and say, "You changed my favorite item, or you took off my favorite dish. <laughs> so that's a no win situation. but but here's what you know how we played it is we had a pretty standard menu. We would change it uh, quarterly. Maybe we change some of the preparations, but we'd leave the same protein like we always had a filet mignon, for example, but the preparation might change. The sauce might be different. The starch and vegetable accompaniment might change, but the filet was constant. Um, the other thing is you run specials. So most restaurants have specials, nightly specials. So those, the, that's your chance to try out a new dish. So you run a special and then it is a great response. So suddenly, well, that might be a, become a menu item. Because you had a uh, overwhelming uh, positive response from the customer base. Uh, conversely, if something doesn't go well, well, you know, and that's another point of being on the floor, being there, because you get to witness, you know, how the customers are reacting to a certain dish. You've seen, you know, you watch the plates when they go back to the kitchen. Are, they, are the plates clean? or Are they leaving a lot of food on the plate? You know, that's a good indication that it uh, that it wasn't well received. And and quite often you'll you'll ask somebody. Oh, how was your dinner? Oh, it was great. You know, especially if it's a regular, they're reluctant to criticize you because they're going to come back again next week and they want to make sure they get a good table. So you can't really go hundred percent by what people tell you. You have to, you know, track it in terms of how many times an item gets ordered and watching the plates go back. You know, you have to, you have to read between the lines in other words.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got to read the room. Yeah, well, yeah absolutely. What about the um just thinking about the the relationship you have with the people that provide the foods, you know because you have to put in orders and there's only so much inventory. It, does that change, or do you get do you stay loyal to the same groups that actually provide you all the the food?
0: Well your suppliers, yeah, they're pretty constant.. Um... You know, you have your your dry goods and your staples. So you have one company that might bring you know your your spices and your the pasta, any of the dry goods. You know the gloves and you know all the containers and stuff you need. Uh, and and once you get with a good one, like we use Merlino's, and we use them for years, and they were great. You know, they're they're very stable pricing. the The other uh, uh, thing, you know, you have fish and meat, basically the and 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 uh, your produce. So those three things, those are uh, a little more fluid because um, somebody might want to get your business and then say, give, they're sending you some great product the first couple of weeks, but then they start to to uh, slide. You know there's a there's, and there maybe the prices go up. They raise their prices without telling you. So those are things you really have to keep on top of. And then once you get a good supplier who understands, Hey, Bass Maine is going to send back any fish that's not grade A quality. Uh, and, and once they get into a rhythm, then you can get some pretty good people. But you have to keep an eye on that all the time—the fish, meat, and produce. So, and uh, like for example, we would we used uh, three or four different fish providers because you know some people have a certain kind of product and or or the pricing. We get better pricing for Ocean Beauty today. On shrimp, but uh, but they're high on halibuts. So we're going to get our halibut from another guy. Stuff like that, and that's that's uh, something. As an owner, you know, you're you know, you're checking your prices, make sure. Hey, why did we get a, You know, why did the price go up on this? It's very important to keep your prices in line and and know what you're paying and knowing what a, a plate of food what it costs when it gets to the customer. How much the halibut cost us to serve?
1: You know? Yeah, so. lot of moving parts like people food all i mean the alcohol um i'm just thinking even with covid shutting down but when you're running a restaurant does it usually i mean i I don't even know if there's a formula but if you can break even on the 20th day and and then the last 10 days is profit like is that even something that you think about or track like as far as when when we're good and Uh, then
0: well I never thought of it in those regards. I'm, uh, you know, I was pretty fortunate. I had a, a pretty reasonable rent for the 25 years. So, you know, we, I, I, you know, I went by monthly gross. You know, you, how many dollars are we averaging per month or per day? Uh, you know, I like to think. You know, I would think of my rent, and there were plenty of days where I could ring my rent in one day or more than my rent. So, you know, that's good. But, but. I never lost money at Bissau Me, but um, uh,
1: you know it, it can be. It's, it's easy to lose money in the restaurant business. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: so um, I'm not sure how to answer that. I, you know, because I was different because I did my I did the books myself. I ordered all the wine and liquor myself. I had the chef order the food stuff, of course, but I paid and then I paid all the bills. So I knew. What I was paying I kept track you know you got to keep track of your money. one one bit of advice I can offer to someone who's starting out is pay your bills every week because what can happen is you know you get your money coming into your account every day, your credit cards get downloaded, and then the money goes into your account the day later day later. You can be sitting there one day say you have a hundred thousand dollars, say, wow, I got a lot of money in my bank account, but you haven't paid your bills for two weeks or three weeks. Now you go in and you pay your bills and suddenly your hundred grand becomes i'm I'm down to a thousand dollars you know it's easy to get carried away uh so my advice is you know, it's what I did for 25 years I paid my bills once a week I've always on top of it yeah. so I always had a very real estimate of what I have available uh, additional cash money so
1: yeah what i find joe is a lot of times when i'm interviewing people who have like a creativity or a skill set not everybody, I mean, that always doesn't translate to being a good business owner. Like you might be a great chef or an artist or, you know, a comp- I had a composer, but the skill set of taking the creative and also being, you know, a good PL business owner, knowing about the recruiting, you know, all that stuff. Uh, it's interesting because I think what people do is they get excited about going down a different a road, uh, you know, because it sounds fun, but, you know, all the backdrop, all the behind the scenes stuff. I, I could imagine could get exhausting. Um, you've been, how long, how many months has it been since you sold the restaurant? Uh, it's been seven months now. Okay. So what do you miss most?
0: <laughs> the money. <laughs>
1: okay. The,
0: the money and the perks. I, you know, I, I missed the, you know, I liked having the revenue and, you know, the perks of owning a restaurant are many, many perks, you know, for example, hope the IRS isn't listening, but <laughs> I never paid for a bottle of wine in the last 25 years. You know, the restaurant bought it, and I brought it home, we consumed it. The same thing, you know, food, I could take food home from the restaurant. There's a lot of perks to in the restaurant. So, but I don't, I don't, um, you know, I did it long enough that I was happy to step away and I don't miss the day-to-day because it is so all consuming. Uh yeah, I, you know, I I think I did it long enough and I had enough uh, satisfaction that I that once I stepped away I didn't really miss it.
1: Yeah. You know, I did a lot of restaurant work myself, um waiter, busboy, washing dishes, bartender. And I remember working at a bar one of the bars I really liked and then I started working at it and it kind of changed the experience a little bit. It wasn't as fun, you know, anymore. It was my bar uh, now I worked there and I you know um and it's interesting because i think that's a good awareness for people to have is when you make it your career or your your job or whatever uh you know it can change it a little bit what uh i ask you what you missed the most what what i would say you didn't miss uh, what what don't you miss is it the day to day the stress of dealing with all the people and all you know writing the bills I, and okay
0: don't miss the stress of the staffing okay. especially the kitchen crew that's that was like a day daily thing in fact i used to walk in in the morning i'd say to the chef what's what went wrong today so far and most days he had an answer <laughs> most days there's something did go wrong i mean the the the, the days i walk in and, and ask him he say yeah everything's good hallelujah well the day's young so you know it's something still could go wrong and there's so many moving parts the restaurant business and in so many things that can go wrong it's you know, it's challenging. It's a challenging job. I mean, the the, the, the most common mistake that I hear is somebody who who is a good cook and they just love food and they love to cook. I should open a restaurant. No, no, you, that's, you know, people aren't realizing the many, many aspects that you have to you know the, the number of products that you have to have on the shelf to to operate a good restaurant i mean, we had probably over a thousand things you know on the on our inventory there's 1200 items that you know you had to be keep in stock and keep on top of you know Um, uh, and then you know like it, it just so happens i'm really good at clerical work so you know when i opened the restaurant i was able to not only be the host and the owner but I also did all the bookwork and you know the inventory, filing taxes, you know, like uh, or when the city says, oh, you have to have a permit to have outside seating, you know, you have to you have to make a draw a map to scale, and you know, there's just so many different challenges that that come your way. You have to, you know, I'm an all-round sort of uh, you know I have a, a broad range of capabilities, and that was really key to my success in keeping costs down. I was able to get more blood out of that stone than most people because I did my own bookkeeping. You know, I did the inventory. I was the host and manager as well as the owner. You know, and so the, you think of all those positions is, uh, you know, I probably wore five different hats. You know, because if you go to some restaurants now, one person does the wine and liquor ordering, one person does, you know, the chef does the food ordering, one person does the books. One person is the host, one person runs the front of the house. You know, I basically did all of that myself. And not only did it give me, keep my thumb on the pulse of the restaurant, but also saved me some dough because I was able to do all those jobs, but it also meant that I was working like a dog. You know, when I first uh well, when I first opened, I had a partner, Michelle, hence the name Beast, because it means two twice or another in French and Italian, he's French, I'm Italian. But after a year, he wanted out. So uh, And I went from working about 45 hours a week to working 80 to 90 hours a week for, and I did that for quite a few years. I can also tell you that in the 25 years I was open, I never took more than, one time I took more than five days off. One time I went to Italy and I was gone for 10 days. But other than that, I mean, you can't go for that long. You need to be there. You need, because there's payroll. I mean, I did the payroll. So, you know, I couldn't be, I couldn't, if I planned a trip to go out of town, I had to make sure I planned it around bi payroll so i'd be there to, to make payroll against you know, so otherwise people aren't going to get their check
1: yeah so a lot i of mean I, i'm listening to you right now and like i mean like for me i don't think it would be a good fit i like my tapping out and like my ability to go somewhere and and not feel stressed out you said you went to italy for 10 days or whatever 10 days, but I off, yeah. yeah i think that's really good for people that are listening to joe right now is it's it's not just a job it's a lifestyle, I would think is the word, and you know, these are the things Joe that like I want to get you know behind the curtains on and. That people don't think about like they think about I like food I like you know people come in and it's entertaining it's fun, but you also are tied to you know, there are careers and jobs where you're tied to the facility or the location and. Getting away, you know, not to mention enjoying your time when you're away and not having to worry about what's going on. So I think it's not a negative thing. It's just a reality that people need to consider. Um, one of the questions I have is like, so you you've been your whole life, you've been in the restaurant industry. What has been your biggest surprise? Like you're a smart guy, I know, and you probably knew like you know the life, what was going to happen. Is there anything? that totally caught you off guard like whoa i had no idea uh, i'd feel this way about the business
0: mm, that's a tough question i don't know
1: like i'm thinking you know i'll just throw some things out like let's just say you have clientele that are loyal and they come and then all of a sudden they stop coming to your restaurant because someone opened up a new restaurant down the road i mean is there is there emotionally? Is there like things like oh my god that that hurts you know like I thought you were my you know part of my tribe and now you're you're not coming or, um, you know maybe you know you bring in somebody you teach them and then all of a sudden they're gone for another company or another restaurant. Well, um,
0: yeah, there's that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but nothing surprised you.
0: Well, I mean, maybe I was, I would say I was surprised that I could never find somebody to. To really take over and run it for me the way that I would run it, that never happened. That's I could never step away. I wouldn't have sold if I'd been able to find that person. I would have sold my restaurant. I would have just turned over operation to them, and I'd still be making money as a as an absentee owner. But I was never able to find that. And is you know I had some great employees. I had some wonderful people who worked for me for a long, long time. I mean, my front of the house people were some people worked for me for 23 plus years. So, you know, I had a great staff, but nobody ever had the full commitment and full attention to detail that would have made me feel comfortable stepping away. Uh, and so ultimately I decided just to sell because I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a business that was half ass, you'll pardon the French. You know, to me, it was important that we do it right. And, um, and the point came in my life where I, I couldn't, you know, I didn't want to be there all the time anymore. So it was better for me just to sell it rather than to let it uh, decline in quality and uh, service that would have happened had I just found some manager who's uh, to run it. So, yeah, and I, get I, it. I, I would have loved to have found that person, but I never did. So that was surprising to me.
1: So, so you know. I'm thinking now that you're retired and I know you have a young son. Do you have thoughts or visions of like doing something different, like a smaller version? I mean, or do you think that you're are you out out? Like, do you feel like maybe in five years or whatever, you might try to get back into it, maybe in a different way?
0: Well, you know, I get that question a lot and, and uh you know, as I tell people, you know, if, if I wanted to stay in the restaurant business, I just would have kept on Main because it was doing great. It was making, you know, very good money. And uh, so the only thing that I might do now is, you know, I would possibly uh, start maybe a little wine business, selling wine uh, as a, like for, to a mailing list sort of thing, which would require, having, you know, I'd have to get a liquor license again and uh, retail uh, liquor license, and uh, so that's something I'm considering doing, because I have a lot of connections still in the wine business, uh, and I have access to some good deals that I could. Uh, that that became over the last few years, the last five six years, the restaurant that became a little side business I had, because I did have a retail license for on Maine, and I was able to when I got great wine deals. I had a little coterie of, uh, of buyers, you know, who liked to you know fancy wines and. When I was able to get some good deals on that, I was able to sell them to my uh, my little
1: group of customers that were, you know, wine collectors. So okay. that's something I might step into. And I'm being encouraged to do so by some of my friends who are in the wine business and thinking,
0: oh, you should do that. So but right now I'm enjoying being off and you know, uh, taking care of my my uh, children, my 13-year-old and his brother. So awesome. I'm pretty satisfied that I also have a non-compete for the next two and a half years for the for the east side anyhow. I could open in if I wanted to open a place in Seattle, I could, but uh, but not on the east side for the next two and a half years. So
1: how does that work? Do they say z these zip codes you can't operate in or just on this side of the the I mean, how does it or is it is it that black and white or is it gray?
0: Well, it's it's pretty black and white. The uh, uh, the the original uh, the, the buyer, he originally had it there that he had not compete for the city of Bellevue. And you remember the green store in Medina. I said, uh, I said, Well, I'm going to go buy the green store and open a restaurant there because that's in Medina. It's not Bellevue. <laughs> the next day he came back with a revision to the contract, which excluded me from operating on the entire east side. He said, You can open a place in Seattle, but not on the east side. I said, Okay. Well, I'm not planning. I, ha- it.
1: I have an idea. What about North Bend? <laughs> we could use you up here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I could go. Yeah, I could go to North Bend.
1: Well, you know, there is a lot of, you know, Snoqualmie Valley is taking off. But uh, yeah, I would love, love to have you come up here. So as we wind this down, um, are there any I mean, you understand kind of what I'm trying to do here? Are there any questions I haven't asked you that I should have, you know, any advice that you might want to give to somebody that's dead set? Like, for example, like picking a type of, you know, Italian, French, I mean, where does that come into play? Or do you just kind of pick what you like that you're passionate about location? You know, are you, would you recommend in the city, out of the city? Would you, I mean, what is your advice to somebody that's like, nope, I'm going to do this. Um, There's nobody that's going to, you know, stop me from doing this. You know, imagine your son who's 13 and in 10 years, he's like, you know, Hey dad, I want to do this. What would you tell him?
0: Well, I tell them, you know, A, you're, you know, having a good location is very important. Obviously, you know, the B, on Maine, I, I used to tell people proximity to wealthy folks has been very good for my business. So there's that. So location, location, location. Um, and the other thing is the details. I think that uh, you have to be a detail-oriented person because there's a lot of restaurants out there, many choices when somebody like yourself or your, your mom and dad, uh, stepdad want to go out to dinner. They have a lot of choices uh, of restaurants they can go to. So what's going to set you apart from the guy down the street? And it's all in the details. I think that, as I said earlier, the, that extra 10%, that little focus on the small things, uh, the customer service. You know, people people didn't come to Bissom, Maine, because I had the best food in the world. We have we had very good food, but it was consistent. The consistency is, I would say, the thing that is most often mentioned to me by former customers. They say, you know, I went there for 25 years. I never had a bad meal. It was not, you know, I didn't win a James Beard Award, but we had a very high standard and we maintained it day in, day out. And what does that take to, to accomplish that? It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of focus on the details you know, and and, uh, it starts with your your supplier. Did the supplier bring us the good stuff today, you know, or did he send us some bad stuff, and now we're going to in turn sell that bad stuff to our customers, who in turn are going to say, wow, that wasn't very good. Let's go to the other place next time. So, you know, you have, it, it takes being on top of it. And if you're ready, if someone is ready to do that, if they feel they have the energy and the focus, and, uh, you know, you're going to get some lumps along the way too. It's not all pretty. I mean, I remember early on, I'd been open maybe two years and I, uh, sat with a friend of mine at the back table, the on Maine one night and we had not a single person came in. <laughs> if you can believe that that was back around t- the year 2000.
1: Not even Kip Durrell.
0: And even the Kipster didn't come in that day. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I said, wow, you know, that is that's like taking a body blow there. But, you know, long term, 20, 23 years later, here I am, you know, we had a very successful run. So but it's, um, you yeah, know, I would say that, you know, the, the you have to focus and you have to be ready to work and you re- have to be ready to put maybe other aspects of your life on the sidelines. You know, your family life is going to suffer. And uh, so you have to be ready for that. Mm-hmm
1: yeah a lot of good stuff joe um if you were to rewind the clock i mean this is a i usually get a often get a coin response on this but would you do it the same way or knowing what you know now would you have done it differently
0: um no i i would keep pretty close to what i did you know i'd probably make some adjustments but uh you know i I think that part of my success was that for me it was so important to make people happy. I mean, like I said in the beginning, I'm just a service-oriented person. That's just something I'm good at. And and making people feel comfortable if they weren't happy with something, you know, taking that seriously, you know, trying to fix it. uh, You know, that's... You know, so I I did what I did the way I did it, and that's what made it successful. So I don't know that I would change that much.
1: And if you... um, Let's just say you couldn't get back into the business. You couldn't get back into the wine business. Is there a dream job? I'm just, I ask this with all my guests just because it's interesting sometimes to get a, a feel for the person, like, you know, what they would love to do. Is there a dream job that you, uh, if you could, could do, you know, anything, um, you know, fantasy land, whatever you wanna do. Is there something that you think about it, uh, you know, someday of like, God, I wish, you know, if I could do this, I would be truly happy.
0: Yeah, I would have liked to have been in the record business or the art business because I like art and I like music. Nice. Uh, but you know, that's those those are also businesses. And uh like I think I would have been a good A&R guy, you know, uh, which it means uh artists and research A and R. But anyhow, so those yeah. guys have pretty cool jobs. I when I when I worked in LA, I used to work at the Palm Restaurant, we had a lot of the big record execs would come in and I always seem to have pretty cool
1: jobs, I like that. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite kind of music? Oh, I listen to all kinds of music. I have. A, I used to be a DJ also,
0: you know. I had a, you know, a side job at KCRW in Santa Monica. I had a radio show for four years, so. Uh, so I listen to jazz, I listen to, you know, more indie music. I don't listen to too much stuff, that's popular, it's on the radio, but I like, you know, uh, country music, country and western, jazz. Classical avant-garde music, a lot of indie pop. I have a pretty wide-ranging taste.
1: Yeah, I love that. Uh, and by the way, uh, you said you're Italian. Do you, what part of Italy? Or is it all over, or is there a part of Italy that you're from?
0: My, my, parents, uh, my parents' family are from uh, Calabria. I say my <laughs> father's, because I'm only half. i don't tell anyone. I'm only half Italian. So my, from my father's side, they're from Calabria in the south.
1: Okay. Have you ever spent time in Siena?
0: I've been to Siena. I'm going to be there in uh, about a month. No, two months. I'm going to be there for the polio on July 2nd with my taking both my kids to Italy for
1: the month. Wow. two. Oh, that is one of my, that's my favorite thing I've ever. I've seen it twice. And um, a few years ago, I, I took my family and we lived in Siena for about seven weeks in um, in the Pan- Pantera Contrada and you know i still could work remote that's one of the benefits of my job but i took my wife to the Palio, and um it was the second time i had seen it the greatest event i've ever seen especially if you understand the history of you know how they choose the horses and the jockeys and the the friction between the different contradas um that's really cool you're taking your kids are you staying inside the city walls
0: no uh we, we have a villa about an hour 15 minutes south, and. Okay. It, so, but uh, I have a friend who has a cousin who lives in Siena. Yep. So he helped me get the tickets for the polio, which were very expensive, by the way. Yeah. See how expensive it was, but uh, we're going to go. And then he's going to go with us on that day on July 2nd and kind of shepherd us through the day.
1: Nice. So,
0: so yeah. We're Do you know, know
1: one which one. contrata he's in? I don't. Okay. I got really close. With- there's 17 of them, right? Yeah, uh, I I got real close with the Bruco Contrada, the Caterpillar. And uh, when I was there out out of college, and I spent a few weeks just, I was poor as can be. But I remember one night I slept underneath the bleachers after the Palio, and they they were starting to get rid of the sand. I, I had drank a little too much Keontae, but I remember, I mean, I had no money. So like I usually slept outside, but I tell you, Siena is my favorite city in the world. So have fun. And if uh, you have an extra spot, um, I figure I, I might be able to come with you. I would love that. So, okay. Sounds good hey, uh, Well, Joe, I really appreciate it. you. You gave a lot of great information and um, I know, you, you know you're very good at what you do. I hope you enjoy retirement and uh, really appreciate you coming on.
0: Thank you. I appreciate being
1: here. All right. Take care.